Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. church it's kind of a fun exciting thing going on there I can't believe we had 45 people even sign up in the midst of a global pandemic to do leadership development so that's pretty uh, pretty exciting you guys I don't know if you can hear a little bit of um, echoey thing there but if you can if you guys can fix it that'd be awesome uh, my name is Corey I'm one of the pastors here on staff excited to get to uh, be here and to get to preach Ruth for you this is week uh, chapter two so if you missed last week I'll give you a recap uh, here in a moment, those of you that are tuning in online, thanks so much for uh, taking time to be able uh, to do that. We are currently in a series called Less We Turn. Uh, this is going to be the last week, and then we're going to take a break. Uh, next week, we're going to fire up 1 Thessalonians. We're going to spend the summer uh, in 1 Thessalonians, and then we have four different men. They're gonna, they've went through a preaching cohort as part of uh, further leadership development that we do uh, as a church, and those four men are going to teach in June and also in uh, July. Some of them are here now, sweating bullets, sitting there. Just me mentioning it, they're like, oh my gosh. Uh, and so it's a terrifying place to be up here. It's a scary uh, reality. And so after First Thessalonians, we'll come back to our series, Lest We Turn, and we'll spend the rest of the year, uh, the last half of the year, looking at a book called First Samuel. We're going to look at kings being introduced uh, to Israel. And so did you have any idea that you could learn so much from the Old Testament? I mean, seriously, someone said, yes, you should. Yeah, 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 you should. But, but we've spent the whole year in the Old Testament, which has been uh, just absolutely incredible. Uh, to be in. I've had the results uh, from people coming out of this has been uh, incredible. So here we go. Ruth, uh, looking at chapter three, I'll briefly hit four and then I'll share the gospel with you. We're going to walk straight through the story. Let me sum up Ruth for you like this. Miss Debbie, if you could throw up uh, the slide for me. What we have here in Ruth is this uh, ordinary family, ordinary people in it like me and you, and they lived in Bethlehem, which meant the city of bread. If you could put up these definitions for me. They lived in Bethlehem, which was the city of bread, but it was in a famine. There's a ton of irony uh, in the book of Ruth, and so there was a husband, Elimelech, which meant God is alive or active, and Elimelech most certainly acted as if God were not alive, and he moved his family to a city called Moab. Moab literally means, who's your daddy? Uh, it was an incestual, foul city uh, there. It was birthed out of incest. They had no idea who belonged to who. Everyone slept with everyone. It looked a lot like uh, our culture. And then you have these, um, you had Naomi, who was married to Elimelech, which meant pleasant, and she was anything but pleasant. She actually changes her name later to Mara, which means bitter or unpleasant. Well, they have two sons with very strong names, Malon and Kilion, but the names literally mean sick and frail. It's like if I, same thing I said last week, it would be like if you named your kids flu and gangrene, right? And how would that go, right? It would not go well on the playground, would it? Well, these men marry Ruth and Orpah. Orpah turns back, and Ruth remains with Naomi. They go back. Those two women are from Moab, which was a no-no. Then they go back to Bethlehem. That was chapter one. Chapter two, we got introduced to this new guy who's not going to be on the screen. His name was Boaz, and we called him Bo, which meant like a warrior, mighty warrior, righteous dude. He was a great business owner. 
He loved the Lord, which is totally crazy for this time, right? If you have been in the book of Judges with us, uh, to have someone who actually believed in God. And Bo falls in love with Ruth. What is she doing? She's gleaning. If you remember, that was the equivalent of their food stamps. She's basically dumpster diving. She's all pitted out and nasty in a sundress. And Bo's like, my, my, my. Praise Jesus. Look at this woman. Um, And so the big idea from last week, let me just remind you, the big idea for last week was humility is the fuel for hesed. Hesed love is this concept that's introduced to us. It's kind of unfathomable for our culture, but the whole book of Ruth is about hesed love, which will um, not be on the screen this week. It was on the screen last week, but hesed love is love as an action, not love as an emotion, if you remember. It's love as as an action. It actually has hands and feet to it. Love as an emotion gets tired. Love, love as an emotion is fleeting. If you've been married for longer than a day or in a relationship even with someone, marriage, love, right, you, it comes and goes. If we're being completely transparent and honest about that. So this week, though, is, is this. This big idea for this week, that's the summation of it, is hesed is risky. Hesed is risky. So if you're going to love with this sort of kind of reckless abandonment that we see here in the text and we most certainly see in the cross, listen, it's going to require some risk. And Hesed for Ruth is a little risque as we get into today's text, is we're going to go to the threshing floor. I know the majority of you don't know what happens on the threshing floor, but I do. And I'm going to teach you about it, okay? So if you have kids in the room, let them know. There might be some earmuff moments in here, okay? We're going to put the fun right back in fundamentalism for those of you in the room that feel uncomfortable when real things get talked about, okay? So Ruth chapter 3, if you're ready, say ready. I'm going to read straight through it. Then Naomi, Ruth chapter 3, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with, the, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So here's what happens. Naomi comes in, that's the mother-in-law, to Ruth, and she says, uh, if we're going to survive, and if we're going to survive in this society, this patriarchal society, you need yourself a man. Uh, good thing for you, Ruth. I'm your mother-in-law, and I'm going to handle business for you. So like a good mother-in-law, she gets her hands all up in some business that has, she has no part in being in, okay? And Ruth's all like, you know, I don't really know what to do. And my mother-in-law's like, well, what about Bo? And Ruth's all like, I don't know. I'm kind of in the friend zone. And then mother-in-law's like, mm, honey, we got to fix that. Here is what you need to do. This man's going to be out partying. He's going to be spending some time with his friends, having a few drinks with his employees, right? The famine has lifted. It's barley season. This is what they would have done. The Israelites, believe it or not, they knew how to party, okay? They knew how to eat good food. They knew how to drink good drink. We as Christians, we should throw the best parties, amen? When Jesus comes back, he's throwing the best party, the best of meats, the best of wines, not to overindulge, but to be able to indulge in the good godly gifts. And so then Naomi goes on and she says, here's what you need to do. Now, it's important that in this moment I say that this text is descriptive, okay? It is not prescriptive. Are you with me? It's descriptive. So whenever the Bible sometimes will tell a story, it'll be descriptive. And what that means is it says, here's what happened. This is what I love about God's word. This is the reality of what happened. And then we use the rest of the Bible to kind of formulate, is this something we should continue doing, yes or no? Or is this something we should abstain from doing? Sometimes now the Bible is what's called prescriptive. And it says, do this thing. And then it says, don't do this Thing. This is a, a historical narrative that is descriptive. Are you with me? Yep. Descriptive, okay? This is not 
maybe something you should do. But this is what happened in real world in the Bible. You tracking? Naomi sends Ruth, and he says, she says this. She says, here's three things I want you to do. Verse 3. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. We're going to get to what that place was. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Okay, so three things that are here in the text she says to do. Step one, she says, hey, girl, take a shower. Clean yourself up, okay? You've been out there working. There's a reason you're in the friend zone. It might be because you just need to take a shower. Let's start there, ladies. Take a shower, right? Then she says, number two, put on something nice, right? Anoint yourself, clean yourself up, then put on your cloak. Put on something nice. She's not saying, hey, throw yourself out there, giving away all your caches and prizes on the first date. She's saying some modesty to you, okay? Dress nice. Step two, put something nice. Don't throw yourself out there, but put yourself out there a little bit better than the way you look right now, specifically talking to Ruth, okay? Now, just to be clear, okay, just to be clear, I fell madly in love with my wife. We've been married 11 years as of yesterday, by the way. <laughs> fell, thank you, thank you. I fell madly in love with Andrea, and all that girl wore was sweatpants. Before, it was cool to wear sweatpants, you know what I'm saying? Sweatpants and a big, frumpy backpack just walking through campus. Now, just to be further clear, I strained my hair and had a lip ring and listened to emo music and wore girl jeans before it was cool, and it's still not cool, to wear skinny jeans, okay? So God is faithful. Are you with me? He is sovereign, as we sing about, okay? So just, just in case you think, man, this guy really has got some demands for us. No, just, this is just what the text says. Then the third thing that he says to her, which gets really scandalous. It is descriptive. She says, go down to the threshing floor. It gets a little bit more awkward for me because I, I've read all the history on what happens here at the threshing floor. The threshing floor was where the party was. This is where they would hang out. This is also where, let me scan the room. This is also where prostitutes would go to spend time with the men whenever they had drank a little bit and they got their bellies full with food and they're sitting down here, they're partying. These working girls would go down there. This was payday for them. I mean, think about it. They had been in a famine, and now the famine has lifted. Barley season has come, and they are raking in the dough. And men and women alike are down there, and they are partying during this um, barley festival. And so she's hopefully in moderation, but many of them are not. But during the time of Boaz, just to be clear, a godly man, we know that Boaz is godly. We know that Boaz has been righteous. We know that Boaz has only been above reproach all throughout chapter 2, so we don't have to read anything into the the, the narrative here, but he is, in fact, eating and drinking and spending time with his employees. Now, there's nothing here in the text that happens that says he's doing it in a way that's not above reproach. He can, he can do these things in moderation and still worship the Lord, right? And so Ruth, understanding what takes place at the threshing floor, follows her mother-in-law's advice regardless. And that's where it feels a little scandalous, but the character that has been portrayed of these characters is not anything scandalous, is it? So we have to watch how we read into the text. And so Ruth goes, she waits on Boaz until he's finished eating and drinking, until the party is completely over. Ruth, again, being a godly woman, does what Naomi, her mother-in-law, calls her to do. And then Naomi's advice continues, okay? After Bo has had a good time, she says, verse five, verse four, verse four. But when he lies down, when Boaz lies down, okay, continues, again, descriptive, Observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Mm -hmm. Verse 5, and she replied, 
all that you say I will do. Okay, verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor, that's Ruth, and did just as her mother-in-law commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. That's where the workers would go to keep their uh, crops safe. Then she, that's Ruth, came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled. Ooh, it's cold out here. And turned over, and behold, remember last week, and behold, somebody say behold. 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 The narrator kind of playing with us, right? And behold, it just so happened, a woman be laying at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, this is where commentators tend to get in a little bit of an uproar, and I do get just a little anxious because I kind of understand the situation that's happening here. So some would imply that the removing of this cloak was not from his feet, but was rather from his, his situation. You with me? Okay. And, and, so, and then what they'll do is these kind of fundamental fundamentalist commentators will kind of run that road, and they'll say all these really negative, heinous things about the text. But if we continue reading the story, we know that that's not the way that the story goes. So there's no need to even let our minds start to go there. But it, but it makes sense, right? Because if, if we did just stop here, it looks like Ruth is just throwing herself at him. In this culture, it's totally appropriate to do all the things that she's done. No one would have thought twice if she would have went down there and kind of given herself over to him and, and all the things that would normally happen in that culture. It would have been fine, just like our culture. And so, but what, what happens here though, right? Think about this. Think about this. Think about being Boaz. You're laying there, you've ate, you've drunk, you've had a good night with your employees, your friends, you're sleeping, you wake up, there is a woman at your feet. And, and literally when he wakes up, what, what actually is being said here is this, who are you? My name is Ruth, your servant. And then she would basically said this, whatever you want. We live in a culture of whatever you want. Let me ask you in here, men and, and women alike, how would you have responded in that moment? You've ate, you've drunk, you've had a good night, it's a late night, totally appropriate to do whatever you want to in the situation, beautiful woman in this case at your feet, you wake up and you look at her big, beautiful brown eyes and she says, hey, whatever you want. Is your character such that you could refrain in that moment? Like we live in a, a culture that is literally what, whatever you want to do. We, we live in a culture where pornography is 100% okay to do and even encouraged in some times. We live in a, a culture called a hookup culture where you can just swipe right. I don't even have to give you a description of myself anymore. We can just, hey, you want to you do this thing? You want to do this thing? Okay, let's go do this thing. Like it takes nothing anymore to have the, the question answered of whatever you want. That's totally normal in our culture, and yet, and we call it dating, I think. I'm not exactly sure what has happened here, but we just call it dating. Right? Sex outside of marriage is to want the gift of covenant without actually making a commitment. That's all it is in, in that moment. It's completely and totally one-sided. It's to say, like, hey, I want, I want all of the benefits of being in covenant relationship with you, but I'm not willing to take any risks. So instead, right, I'm going to just use you and I'll use you for my own good and for my own glory and I'll be God in this moment and you come and you worship me and you do the things for me that I want you to do. Actually, I'm going to look at you and I want to say whatever I want, not whatever you want, not whatever's good, not whatever's holy or righteous, but rather whatever I want, you serve me. That's ultimately what sex outside of marriage does. It is to put yourself at the head of the covenant and Jesus somewhere else. Maybe not even in the covenant anymore. 
And so she looks at him and she says, whatever you want. Let me ask you this. When is the last time you came before your Redeemer? She's before her Redeemer, right? When was the last time we came before our true Redeemer and we said, hey, whatever you want? When's the last time you just got with your spouse on your knees? Like, I mean, hands out and just said, hey, all of it is, you can have all of it. Anything that you, we just prayed for revival. We just sang and prayed for revival. I mean, what, what, would, what would your families look like? What would your life, our church look like if we were men and women that literally came before the Father, just arm in arm, hand in hand, arms wrapped about one another, and we said to, the, to God the Father, hey, whatever you want to do, we'll do. Just think about it. Just dream about it with me for a second. It's interesting here because while they do remain above reproach, there are good principles in here for us to realize about marriage. Like marriage is risky because marriage is hesed. It is love as an action. It's not just love as an emotion. Emotions come and go. If you, especially when you get kids, <laughs> they just, they're all over the place, like the energy levels of those kiddos, right? Marriage is risky because marriage is hesed. It is love as an action. Listen, regardless of how someone responds to you, and so Boaz is continuing, going to continue to respond godly. But what I love about what this reveals is like this desire for him to do it the right way, if I may. Like this desire for covenant, to invite Ruth into covenant with him. This beautiful picture that he's willing to wait. Like it's incredible. Like when you think about marriage, it's someone like, what is marriage? I heard Tim Keller say one time, marriage is, is a promise to show up. It's a promise to look at God and say, whatever you want every day of your life. That's what marriage is. It's a promise to, it's an appointment you make with yourself in five years and 10 years and 15 years and in 35 years to look at the Father and say, whatever you want me to do. It's a promise to pursue covenant. It's why Ephesians says marriage reveals the mystery of the gospel, specifically Jesus' relationship to the church. That whenever God the Father called Jesus to die on the cross for us, Jesus didn't say no. Rather, he looked at the Father and he said what? He said, whatever you want. I'm all in on whatever it takes to redeem this people, to specifically redeem my bride, to present her spotless. I'm willing to take the risk for you. Whatever you want me to do, Dad. If the cup will pass, that would be great. But if not, whatever you want me to do. Listen, Ruth is not here at the threshing floor because she's a prostitute. Naomi, her mom, had a crazy idea, watching too many soap operas, too much reality TV, and says, maybe, here, let's do this. And so sends her down there, but she's not down there with that. She's down there because she's a godly woman. And Boaz is most certainly a godly dude who's modeled godly character that's been instilled in him. He's raised by a prostitute. Rahab was his mom. Do you remember from last week? Like he knows what happens at the threshing floor. He also knows how to treat a woman. Saw that last week, seen that this week as well, right? Boaz has prayed in the previous chapter that God would bring protection to Ruth and community to Ruth and stability to youth. And if you, Ruth, and if you remember, he looked in the mirror and he said, my, I'm the guy that's going to do that. I'm going to actually answer my own prayer. God, Boaz chose to be God's hand of provision for Ruth and Naomi. He's not in this moment going to ruin it. Right? It's a very simple, small letter we can read or a book that we can read. Right? And so Boaz, what does he do? He spreads his blanket over this woman. Why does he do that? Well, in their culture, what that meant was, it's like the equivalent of an engagement ring. And so what it meant was, I, I want to be with you. I want to be intimate with you. I want to bring you into my home. I want to take you as my own, but I also want to do it within the covenant of marriage. 
I want to do this thing in a godly way. And so Ruth is here at the threshing floor, not because she's needy, not because she's crazy. She is a little risky, <laughs> all right? Listen, and here's why this is so risky. I got a little off track there with that marriage thing, didn't I? Here, here, here's why this is so risky, okay? Because in this moment, Ruth, in everything that she said to him, is proposing that Boaz proposed to her. That's crazy. That's progressive right there. <laughs> Did you know the Bible was that progressive? I mean, think about that. I mean, really, she said it for me. It's 2021. Men propose to men all the time. Not a big deal anymore. No big deal. Women propose to women. Not a big deal. Okay? Not that we agree with all that, but not a big deal. Women don't propose to men. Not even now. It's still weird now. 3,000 years later from this moment, that's something that doesn't happen. And so for her to look at him and say, hey, I'm proposing that we kind of do this thing, right? That we just skip the dating thing. We jump right into marriage. That's crazy talk. Like that is insane for their culture. That would, that would never happen. That is so outside of their cultural worldview. It is insane. And so Ruth here is super risky. One, she's proposing that he proposed, which is pretty bold, but also like Ruth goes down to the threshing floor with no protection for men to keep her safe. Ruth goes down there. She's risking her reputation as a godly woman. Her her um, um, reputation in the culture was that of a godly woman. He actually said when he asked his servant, Boaz asked the servant, who is that woman? He says, she's the woman that you've heard of, the Moabite woman who left everything. She literally risked everything. She risks risks every single aspect of her life for this moment. She's risking embarrassment. A homeless woman is proposing to uh, to a rich man, an employee is impro- uh, uh, what's the word I'm proposing to a CEO. A Moabite just proposed to an Israelite. They weren't even supposed to be there. A woman just proposed to a man. Like she's risked literally everything in this moment. It's crazy. Anyway, back on track. Verse ten. And he said, "May you be blessed." Verse ten. And he said, "May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. Uh, you have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask." For all my fellow townsmen, townsmen, know that you are a worthy woman. Reputation, verse 12. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yes. And there is a redeemer nearer than I. Uh-oh, verse 13. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will not redeem you, good. I'm sorry. If he will redeem you. Got to hear that. If he will redeem you, good. That's not the way I would have acted. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning but arose before one could recognize her, of course. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. I love how real the Bible is. He's like, girl, I'm so glad you came down here. Uh, And also you got to go, okay? Because it's going to go bad for both of us. I also love Boaz's confidence. Like he literally, did you hear him say, okay, she's crying out to him in love with this man. And he's like, yeah, but there is someone who comes before me that could actually redeem you. If he will, good. Words would have never come out of my mouth. If he'll do it, great. But if not, I will most certainly do it. And do you know what Boaz does? We don't have time to read it all. But what Boaz does is he goes in chapter four, the next chapter, and he sees the guy, the relative coming by that is first in line to redeem Ruth and Naomi. And I love it because if we had time, oh, I wish we had time to get into it. If we had time to get into it, chapter four, Boaz, is, his, his character doesn't shift, but his behaviors most certainly shift. And what he does, what he says in the Hebrew to this man who's walking by, is he, this guy's walking by, he goes, hey, my man. Like literally in the Hebrew, he says, hey, so-and-so. Just totally demeaning to this guy. 
And he gets 10 of the elders, the local elders there, that is like the leaders of the city to come and to watch the whole interaction. And he says, hey, so-and-so. And the guy's like, oh, me? He's like, yeah, there's an opportunity for you to redeem a woman named Naomi. She has some land. It could really grow your inheritance. You could have a bigger inheritance. You could have more of a 401k. Would you like to redeem it? And the guy says, so-and-so says, yeah, I would love to. And he's like, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, yeah, thought you would say that. Um, it also comes with a Moabite woman. And if you redeem Naomi, you get the Moabite woman, Ruth, and she's going to get all of your inheritance. Can you afford that? And he's like, nah, bro, I can't, afford, I can't afford all that. He's like, yeah, I didn't think so. And he does it all in front of these 10 elders, just kind of like, boom, like this man, like he goes and kind of gets what it doesn't kind of, goes and gets what is his. And it's not, a, it's not a change in character, but there's this like love story pauses for a moment, and man goes and gets his Woman, it's incredible what we get to see. And he isn't like emotional about it, but what he is is faithful in what God's called him to do. 100% faithful in God's sovereignty. 100% faithful in God's uh, providential hand that we've seen all throughout the book of Ruth, totally dependent upon the Lord. And, and what it was it revealing to us? That love is risky. That he just looked and said, hey, if he'll do it, cool, good, okay. But if not, like he knew that guy wasn't going to do it. Master negotiator in that moment comes in loving, just loving his lady well and modeling this risk. Listen, Hesed love is risky. Hesed requires a great dependency on the Father. If you're going to really like love someone as an action, it requires a great deal of dependency upon God and the resources He's given you, the spirit that He's given you. Listen, we're with Hesed, there is no more like individuality. There, there is not even individualism in the church anymore. There is only a communal approach to being family, a communal approach to doing life on life together, to being, doing life in community together, doing life on mission together, right? If you want to really truly experience some risk as a uh, Christian, especially within this church, then step into a missional community. Like, it's easy to show up here on a Sunday and let someone talk at you for 40 minutes. You know what's hard? Getting involved in someone else's life sacrificing your calendar, sacrificing your finances. There are so many things that we can do that, as Christians that don't actually revolve any risks at all. And yet we can do them and say that we're being godly. We were talking about it just this morning as a, as a team. Like It's easy to serve the church whenever you get to set the schedule for when you serve. That's not risky at all. It's really easy to, for me to open up the Bible and read it. That doesn't require any risks especially if I've already decided not to be obedient to it. It's really easy for me to pray. I can pray. I can pray the big, I can pray for God of revival to come and revive my city. And if I know in my heart, I'm not going to respond to that prayer at all. It's not a bit risky. Like, do you know what it would, do you know what level of sacrifice it would take for us as a church to truly see revival in this city? Can you even begin to fathom the level of risks that it would take, that the Holy Spirit would impress upon us to push us out into a community to actually live on mission? You better watch out praying that prayer. Like the level of risk that we take, we can pray that prayer all day. And if we've already said, no, God, I'm not willing to do the things that you're calling me to do, it's not a risky prayer. Like, do you even know, like, financially how much, what it would require to do that? I was sitting there thinking, like, church planters, like, it costs $250,000 on average to plant churches. Do you know? They don't know. Yeah. Right? These guys raised $250,000. What would we do if we had six church planting pastors here? 
and a million dollars we had to raise to send them out to change the Metro East. Are you willing to make that risk? Listen, it's easy to give financially to a church and call it a tithe when it doesn't actually stress your budget. You can do that all day and feel really, really good about yourself. But you can also, listen, you can also pray and you can also read and you can also serve and you can give financially and you can do all of that from a hardened heart that says, I'm not willing to actually take the risk. I mean, just think about what our church would look like if we actually stepped up and said, hey, we're going to take some risk. From now to the end of the year, we're going to risk everything that God calls us to risk. Can you just imagine if that song might actually become true? That a God of revival might, like, he wants revival. (laughs) He wants that. And, And also, he wants us to respond to that calling. Just think about it. What's interesting about this whole thing is that our good works are not what's going to save us. Like Ruth and Boaz and Naomi, they're, they're not saved because of their good works in this story. They're saved because there's a good God who's coming, whose name is Jesus. That there's a God who's looked out at this story and he said, man, I'm willing to do whatever's necessary. I'm willing to take risks. It started with a, pro- didn't start, but the story begins with a prostitute that God was really willing to take a risk on that could eventually lead to the redemption of Israel. And from there, give birth to a guy named Boaz that we just read about, who's going to marry Ruth, who's going to give birth. They're going to birth a son named Obed that's going to birth Jesse, that's eventually going to birth, that's going to birth uh, King David, that's eventually going to birth Jesus. Like, this whole story is redemptive. Listen, the whole story requires risk. It was not enough for God to say, I love you. Emotionally, I love you. That's true, yes and amen. But God has to take a step forward and actually model Hesed love. That's the whole entire point of the book of Ruth, that God is a God of action, not just a God of words. And so how do we know that that's true? Because we can look at the cross, that we look and see that there's a very real Jesus who comes to redeem, not to be redeemed, that there's a real Jesus who comes and he says all the right things, yes and amen to that, but he also responds in a way that is trustworthy. Like we can look at the actions of Jesus and we see what love looks like. You can argue theology all time, all the time. You cannot just read the story of Jesus Christ and argue what love looks like. He does unfathomable things, right? Risk after risk after risk after risk, putting himself in position after position after position so that he might reveal that we have to, that we are actually loved by him. Think about it. I mean, Jesus surrenders everything. Just as Boaz is willing to surrender his reputation, his rights, his goods, his resources for this woman that is a Moabite, so also Jesus, the better Boaz, literally gives up everything. He leaves his whole entire kingdom to come and dwell among humanity. Tell me that's not risky. Fully God, fully man, walks in perfection. Tell me that's not risky, to walk in perfection, to walk in opposition to the culture as a godly individual. You want to take a risk? Just be godly. (laughs) You want to get kicked out of some place? Just act like a Christian. That's all you have to do now. You don't have to do much. Tell someone you'll pray for them. And tell me it doesn't feel risky right now. Jesus walks in perfection all the way to the cross. The most humiliating aspect of anywhere in creation during that time is the cross. Right? He, he, we could say he willingly walks to the threshing floor alone knowing the consequences and willingly accepting the consequences. His reputation is completely defiled. Where Boaz looks at Ruth and he says, hey, you need to get out of here because things are going to go bad for both of us. Jesus says, it's going to go bad for me. I willingly accept that. Tell me that's not risky. Reputation completely defiled. Dies on the cross in our place as our substitute and then boom, resurrects new life, sends us his Holy Spirit, revealing he is in fact the ultimate 
Redeemer. Every resource that God the Father um, had Jesus step away from is sent into us in the power of the Spirit, ultimately redeeming us forever. Not just for a moment, not just for a moment in time in a story, but forever. And as if that were not enough, we're thinking about this in our worship planning meeting. Like if people think right now, like oh, in the book of Ruth, it says they abstain from having sex outside of marriage. It's so archaic. Do you not know that, that Jesus, while he's in covenant with us, is still waiting to consummate the marriage with us? That Jesus has been waiting for thousands of years to come back to, to give us, to be forever united with us. That Jesus had looked out across time and space, looked at you all, looked at me, and looked at those on Facebook and said, man, they're totally worth the wait. Everything about them is worth the wait, not because of who they are, but because of who I am. Look, God, is, God will never call you to do something that he himself was not first willing to do for you. Right, so anytime you read something like this, you think, that's archaic. It's also Jesus. And it's probably a picture of godliness and holiness, not something that's archaic. Hey, go ahead and stand with me as we transition into communion and offering. We regularly go long seasons at Heights without mentioning offering, actually, um, until someone starts mentioning it to us, and then we think, oh, maybe we should talk about that. <laughs> so, um, so if you like to give during this time, feel free to give. There's boxes up here you can give in or download Church Center app, and you can give uh, in that way uh, as well. The scriptures do, uh, even though we don't talk about it regularly, the scriptures do, scriptures do call us to give generously, uh, joyfully, and in uh, proportion to our income. Uh, it is the way that we fulfill the mission of God. It's the way that we support church planners like Paul, it's the way that we build schools in Kenya, it's the way that we support the Restore Network, one of the most bomb nonprofits in the whole entire St. Louis area. And we do incredible things with ties as they uh, come in. We try to be very transparent about all of, our, all of our giving, all the things that we give to. We try to celebrate that well, but we regularly don't uh, talk about it. That's a failure on our behalf. And uh, in that, somehow God continues just to provide far above and beyond financially than we could ever uh, imagine. Uh, as we get into communion, let me just read over you 1 Corinthians, okay? It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. This is Paul the Apostle speaking. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. Think about this. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, in light of Hesed love, love being in action, in light of Hesed love being risky. Listen here. He spent three years with someone who would say he was his best friend and brother. Tell me that's not risky. Knowing that at a table over bread... <laughs> He would be betrayed. That's love as an action church. He spends all that time with Judas. Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So for those of you that are in Christ, this is a meal that is for the believer. Um, for those of you that are professing Christians, as you hold these little cups uh, in your hand, the wafer represents Christ's body that was broken for you. Uh, the cup represents Christ's blood that was spilled on your behalf. If you ever feel isolated, you feel alone, you feel alienated from the Father, you feel disconnected from God, how can he love me? Does anyone love me? What's happening in the world right now? Communion is a reminder. It's, it's a calling back to see that God didn't just love us with words, but he loved us with his deeds, loved us with every single bit of himself. And so as you partake in communion, I would also encourage you then to spend time in confession, uh, to be reminded of the gospel, 
that Jesus dies, not just so we can celebrate, but so that we can be set free from slavery to sin. If you're not yet responding to Jesus in that way, uh, let me invite you to do so today.